The first thing is first thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale on 760 WJR, where Michigan comes to talk. Well, I got to say, Renee, yesterday as the day dragged on, I knew that police had 72 hours to file charges against the suspect that they brought in on Sunday in the murder death of uh, president of the downtown synagogue, Samantha Wall. And we're getting close to the end of the day and we hadn't heard anything. And I was starting to wonder if maybe they were going to let another suspect go. Yeah, they really, uh, it was really taken to the limit there, but fortunately that was not the case. Yeah. And you know what, to be completely fair, that might be a uh, standard operating procedure and it's just the first time we've seen it work play itself out this publicly. Um, you know, people in law enforcement, they may have thought nothing of it because I'm sure you want to make sure that you're very, very thorough before you actually um, issue a, an arrest warrant for somebody. And uh, yesterday, Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy, she filed charges against 28-year-old Michael Jackson Bolanos and the death of Samantha Wall, president of the downtown synagogue in Detroit back in October. Now, Bolanos was taken in custody on Sunday. As I said, he has no association with Miss Wall. And he was seen breaking into cars in the area of her apartment the night she was murdered. Uh, Bolanos is facing a number of felony charges, homicide, murder, home invasion, lying to police. And he faces life in prison if convicted. And uh, he will have a probable cause hearing on December 27th. And I, I'm, I'm not going to speculate here. It sounds like um, this was wrong place wrong time as far as i know that neighborhood where samantha wall i believe it's the uh lafayette park neighborhood where she lives is a very safe neighborhood but hopefully at least this puts that community at ease that this guy's off the street and hopefully uh, it helps bring some closure to her friends family and the jewish community yes a move in the right direction i suppose yeah so um and, and, of course, they reiterated yesterday that this was not a hate crime, which, if you remember when this happened, I think it was October 21st. It was uh, two weeks after the uh, Hamas's attack on Israel, and tensions were high. And I think that's what everybody's first instinct was, was, uh-oh, is this a hate crime? But uh, since the beginning, James White and Kim Worthy reiterated yesterday this was th- this this seemed to be a random crime. Yeah, it was a coincidence. Yesterday, the... Yeah, it, yeah, it was it. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say it's bad, but the, obviously there's no good timing for right. something like this. But yeah, it was uh, it was very tense, and I think that it was very smart and very responsible of everyone involved to come out and reiterate that this was not a hate over crime. And over and, and the uh, details that have come out seem to confirm that. Right. Uh, the the House voted yesterday to authorize an impeachment hearing into President Joe Biden and whether or not he used his position as vice president to enrich himself and son Hunter Biden in their business dealing. The vote passed along party lines 221 to 212, as you like to say, Renee, surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, look, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. It won't pass the Senate. Uh, it needs two thirds majority to pass Senate. But I think the more we know about who we're voting for, the better. And hell, I'm just going to say it right now, open an impeachment inquiry against every president on the first day in office. That seems to be the direction we're going anyway. Yeah, it's becoming the new norm. Just, yeah, just let us know everything about, let let us know everything about him. Can we open impeachment inquiries about people in our life that we don't trust? It's the new background check. (laughs) 
it is. Uh, yes, we need you to. Uh, uh, we need you to make in this cup, uh, and we need to do a, an impeachment inquiry before we uh, give you your start date. Right. Yeah. Are you, course, are you allowed to say making a cup on the radio? I guess I just did it a second time. Then. Sorry. Uh, yeah, well. Well, you, know, you have the dump button over there, Jay, so. Uh, yeah. uh, the FCC is going to get uh, new computers, I guess, uh, because of us. Yes, you know, Jason, it's funny. I don't know if you could actually hear the gears turning in my head uh, trying to find the appropriate uh, way to say that on the radio. But I, I think I think that's okay. If not, I think we're good. We don't, no one's listening at this hour. Um, <laughs> my mom. By, uh, yeah, my, I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it talking to. Yeah. Uh, and then yesterday, you know, Hunter Biden, he did show up. This was very dramatic uh, to Washington, D.C. Uh, briefly, he did not sit down for this private testimony about his family's dealing with foreign business affairs in front of the House Judiciary Committee. He made a brief statement in front of reporters calling the attempted GOP impeachment inquiry against his father, Joe Biden, shameful, saying his father had no financial involvement in his business dealings before he got back into his limousine and drove away. Did he like rock star it out? He's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the end of like an 80s Melrose place. Or yes, something. it was like DC's he's like, and I'm out. Right. He, the only thing he should have done was pick the mic up from the podium and drop it. Right. Um, he was subpoenaed for the closed door testimony, said that he would only testify in public so that everything would be on the open. He faces contempt charges if he does not comply. But, you know, Congress is heading out on vacation, so they're not going to deal with that till after December. But, uh, yeah, I, I want and I wonder if his strategy was because. As far as I know, this testimony was supposed to be part of the impeachment inquiry, and it looked like they were going to vote on it, push the vote to today, which led you to believe that they didn't have the votes. And my question was, if they didn't vote for the inquiry, would he still have to testify? Maybe that was his strategy. He was slow rolling this thing, hoping he might not have to show up. Yeah. Did he know that the timing was on his side on this one? Yeah, I, and and ultimately it wasn't, but I, that's what I was thinking all day yesterday. Okay, if this impeachment inquiry doesn't go forward, does Hunter Biden still have to testify? I don't know. I would love to just roll up to a podium in a stretch limousine like it's the 80s, and I just bought a bunch of stock in IBM. And you got Give like a, a killer soundtrack playing behind you? Uh, the danger zone, probably. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I just no, show up. No, it would be a Gary Newman song for you, Mike. You got the, the boombox over your head, John Cusack style. Yeah. No, I need a crony for that. I, you, could you guys be my cronies and you both kind of have like a, a boombox over uh, over my head behind sure, me? Sure, yes. we got you. Yeah. Um, and then I would just love, you know, like uh, like half baker. You go bleep you, bleep you, bleep you. You're cool. I'm, I'm out. out. And then get, get right back into my limousine. <laughs> And then uh, drive away. Perfect. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Conservative pundits like to use the term limousine liberals, and, and Hunter Biden was was definitely yeah. not helping. To you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. Wow. Jason, how did you get how did you get audio of my last press conference? <laughs> it was already on the uh, page. Right. Wow. Yeah, you you must you must have followed it very closely. I'm very impressed. All right, uh, so Renee, there's a number of big rulings that might be uh, we might be seeing 
uh, ruled upon by the Supreme Court. Yeah, on Wednesday, they said that it, it will hear an appeal that could upend hundreds of charges stemming from the Capitol riot, including against former President Donald Trump. The justices will reveal an appellate ruling that revived a charge against three defendants accused of obstruction of an official proceeding. The charge refers to the disruption of Congress's certification of Joe Biden's 2020 presidential election victory over Trump. That's among four counts brought against Trump. Trump in special counsel Jack Smith's case that accuses Trump of conspiring to overturn the results of his election loss. Trump's also charged with conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. The court's decision to weigh in on the obstruction charge could threaten the start of Trump's trial, currently scheduled for March 4th. The justices separately are considering whether to rule quickly on Trump's claim that he can't be prosecuted for actions taken within his role as president. A federal judge has already rejected that argument. The Supreme Court will hear arguments in March or April with a decision expected by early summer. The obstruction charge, which carries up to 20 years behind bars, has been brought against more than 300 defendants and is among the most widely used felony charges brought in the mass of federal prosecution following the deadly insurrection on January 6, 2021. And dang it, we don't have time to get into the other big one this segment, so we'll do it after the news at uh, 535 on the other end of that break, because we got to get to one right now. It's first thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. It's first thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale. Um, Mike, are you Oh, there? my God. Renee, I was just talking for 30 seconds, and I did not even know my microphone was on. <laughs> I'm like, he's was muted. He's I was muted. like, he fell back asleep. All right, it's going to be a uh, Renee Vitale all day. Fine. You know, I'm really sorry because that was like the best 30 seconds of radio that I've ever done, and nobody heard it. Marconi Award type stuff. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to submit that to the uh, Marconis for yeah. uh, best 30 seconds of dead air while my co-hosts <laughs> panic. <laughs> I was thinking. I was talking. I said, Renee, don't interrupt me. That's rude. <laughs> all right. So uh, what I was trying to say, and this won't be as good as what I said when my microphone was off. Take uh, two. The Supreme, take two. <laughs> the Supreme Court said that it would, it would decide whether or not to restrict access to mifeprestone, a widely used abortion drug, even in the states where abortion is legal. The high court, they overturned a federal appeals court ruling back in April to limit the access to the drug, keeping the drug accessible until a proper appeal played itself out. One judge uh, ruled to make it less accessible. Another judge blocked it. So the Supreme Court said that, all right, we'll keep it accessible until the appeals, uh, until the appeal runs its course. And it looks like they're going to rule on it themselves. Uh, the federal courts claim uh, that Mifepristone was back, was approved back in the year 2000 without going through the proper approval process. Uh, and my question is, okay, but it's been, on the market for 23 years. So hasn't it been proven safe by now? I was anyway? going to say it's taken what, 24 years now. If it, I, I feel that if it was not safe, we would know by now. Right. And, and, and look, if this was 2001 and this drug didn't go through the proper, um, you know, approval process, I might say that this court has, has, has a point. Right. But it's 2023. It's going to be 2024 exactly. in a little over two weeks. And, uh, you know, obviously this is an activist court um, that is anti-abortion. The math now, ain't mathin'. Right, exactly. 
And and so, you know, if the, the Supreme Court is being consistent, they would maintain access to Mifepristone because the cornerstone of the Rovers Wade ruling was not necessarily to outlaw abortion, but to leave it up to each individual state and not the government, whether or not abortion is legal. So I would think that if the Supreme Court is being consistent and and I will applaud them in a, back in April, they were being consistent. And this really is expected in July. If they're being consistent, they will rule to keep access um, the same and leave it up to the individual states whether or not they're going to keep uh, keep it as accessible as it's been. So we'll see what happens. Right. So uh, good news, everybody. If you get your uh, if you get your consumer advice from Kid Rock, which I do. <laughs> right. um... I don't make a buying decision without consulting Bob. Um, <laughs> he is no longer boycotting Bud Light. He oh, told good. Tucker, yeah, so I guess he went on Tucker Carlson's X show, which I guess Tucker Carlson is launching, uh, finally launching his uh, online network. It's going to be like the Blaze and stuff like that. But this was on the Twitter X show. Uh, Kid Rock said that Bud Light deserved a black eye and they got one. So do I want to hold their head underwater and drown them because they made a mistake? No, I think they got the message. And of course, everybody lost their bleep when Bud Light back in, uh, it was uh, March Madness. They sent, um, uh, I don't know if it was a six pack or a case of Bud Light to Dylan Mulvaney. Yeah, to Dylan Mulvaney, uh, a transgender influencer. Um, it had rainbows on it. And of course, everybody lost their mind and there were boycotts of Bud Light. Um, and, you know, they kind of lost their butt when it came to market share. Yeah. And uh, Kid Rock made that ridiculous video right. where he shot a box of uh, a 24 a pack of Bud Light with some machine gun. And uh, now, now I guess it's all right. Was Kid Rock realizing he was becoming irrelevant outside of Detroit again? <laughs> Had to make a statement. <laughs> I'm not sure because I, I I'm sure Tucker Carlson called him, but uh, yeah. I, I, and here's here's the thing, Renee. I this summer has been nice because if you're not offended by LGBTQ, the LGBTQ community, Bud Light has been very cheap because it's been on special. Yeah. Uh, but I honestly think Bud Light's biggest mistake wasn't trying to reach out to the LGBTQ community. I think their biggest mistake was the reaction to the backlash. I mean, they caved. They were they were apologizing. They were trying to uh, really double down on their, you know, their, their pandering to the um, customer base that they had been pandering to for 25 years. And they really left Dylan Mulvaney out there to dry. Yeah. They, 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 made Dylan Mulvaney this national lightning rod and then they just they just kind of ghosted her. Yeah. And and I think that they were expecting maybe that the LGBTQ community would have rallied around Bud Light and really supported yeah. them and the LGBTQ community does not like Bud Light. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that Renee because the boycotters, you know, the quote-unquote boycotters that were so offended by Dylan Mulvaney making that video uh about her bud light cans um they kind of take credit for the loss of market share but i know that there's been a lot of gay bars and lgbtq establishments that were so turned off by the way that bud light did not come to dylan mulvaney's defense 
that a, a lot of these LGBTQ uh, establishments, they stopped selling Bud Light as, right. as kind of their own boycott. Right. Bud Light lost both ways. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do something that's controversial, you lean into it. You don't dip your toe in the water and say, I'm sorry, because mm -hmm. those people that you've made mad, they're mad at you. They, yeah. There's nothing you can do except just wait. So it, it, it would be better for business for you to fully embrace kind of the people you were going after with the original controversial move right. than to say, I'm sorry. And now everyone's mad at you and nobody wants to buy your product. Right. Right. Yeah. Bud Light really lost on the, in the end of this. Well, in, and the thing is too, you know, I think we were talking about this off air. Um, we said, wow, for, for, for a lot of companies embracing the LGBTQ community and doing all this pride month stuff, um, it, it works out for them. But I think what Bud Light did for decades and decades and decades, their marketing was all very like macho and 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 drink our beer or, or else you're less of a man. So they really kind of um, cultivated this customer base. Right. Well, what was funny was when everybody was taking a stance, that's it. And they're dumping their cases of Bud Light. I'm switching to Coors. And then somebody goes, well, that's cute. And then they would show Coors advertising campaign for Pride Month. That's right. it. No more of this beer for me. I'm drinking this. And then they would show their their right. campaign for Pride Month. You know, most companies celebrate LGBTQ, as, even if it's just when they they show it for LGBTQ Month, which is June. Pride right. month. It's well, like I mean, weird flex. I mean, look at Target. Target is uh, a company that you know has not had the marketing strategy of Bud Light over the years, right? Right. Um, it's 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 very female focused. It's very inclusivity focused, and they faced some backlash during Pride Month because right. they had their Pride Month merchandise up in the front of the store, and you you had a bunch of jerks going in there and trying to pick fights with the employees and take down but, the displays and kick them and whatever. Right. And uh, you know, but Tar and Target they kind of acquiesced a little bit. I think more for the the safety of their employees than sure. than anything else. Um, but, you know, they kind of took a little hit and I think it was it was a double boycott, kind of like what Bud Light has uh, experienced. However, I was in a Target, Target last week. They recovered. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and Target obviously did recover because they 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 didn't kind of cultivate the the same macho drink our beer shop at our store and be manly um, kind of marketing strategy that Bud Light had over the years. Yeah. Um, and also, Renee, if you have one too many Bud Lights this holiday season, <laughs> uh, don't, I mean, you shouldn't be driving anyway, any time of the year, but especially between now and the end of the year. Yeah, state troopers announced that they will step up enforcement of impaired driving laws over the holiday season. Michigan State Police says patrol numbers will increase starting tomorrow, running through New Year's Day. Alcohol is involved in 9,331 Michigan crashes throughout 2022. More than 300 people in those crashes died. MSP adds 66 people died in car crashes during Christmas and New Year's Day between 2018 and 2022. They say 17 of those deaths occurred when alcohol was involved. And those who plan on drinking over the holidays are strongly advised to designate sober drivers to get home. There's so many options, you know, get designated driver, use Uber, Lyft, whatever you have to do, crash on the couch. I mean, right. it's, it's so nice. Not necessary.
I mean, here's the thing. Take an Uber to the bar. Take it home. Yeah, you know what? It's AAA an has e- that great program. You know, right. there's just so many options. Yeah, it's it's eighty dollars. It's pro- it's like up to eighty dollars round trip, but it's much better than the consequences. A DUI, death, right? You know, come right. on, car accident. Uh, real quick here, this this story about this gun buyback at St. D- David's Episcopal Church in Southfield. They they held this gun buyback program uh, event last week. It was very successful. Two hundred twenty four guns were dropped off at the church. And uh, Reverend Chris Yaw, he was under the impression that these guns would be destroyed. So imagine his surprise when he got a call from the New York Times and the New York Times asked him, hey, did you know that this this company that you use to to dispose of these guns after this gun buyback problem called Gunbusters, Gun they're actually disassembling the the guns. They're destroying the part of the guns with the serial number on them and then everything else they're selling them on the Internet. So it's like a gun recycling repurposing program. And it defeats the purpose because because you you got these uh, you got these gun owners who are trying to do the responsible thing and they're, they're getting rid of their guns properly and then they're reselling them online to to God knows who. And so obviously Chris Yaw, the reverend over at St. David's Episcopal Church, what has happened, he was shocked and horrified when he got that call from the New York Times. That seems counterproductive. Uh, Yeah, exactly. All right. We have to take a quick break. We're going to get you set up for JR Morning coming up next. It's first thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale. And we're heading into JR Morning. Guy, Lloyd, Jamie, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I wanted to pick the room's brain about something. Um, so, of course, one of the, the buzzwords of 2023 and probably 2022 was was quiet quitting, right? Well, now I guess employers have their own buzzword, and it's called a stealth layoff. And a stealth layoff is when a company gives an employee advance notice that they'll be laid off either weeks or months in advance. And, and it's designed to slow roll bad press. Um, that a company could receive for sudden layoffs. Some companies will give employees a date. Others will just tell them if it's going it's going to happen, but not when it's going to happen, which sounds really stressful. It is. Um, there, there's one company that notified its workers in April that they would be getting let go in December. I'm torn on this. I, I don't know what, what what you guys think about this, if, 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 if that's better or if it's better to just come in one day and just realize you're out. I think it's better. You can plan. You can try and get a different job. Right. Yeah, I think the earlier warning, the better. And I mean, is there a good way to lay somebody off? I think most managers will tell you that's the toughest part of their job. It is. Oh, right. It it is. And and there's no, and you know, most of them say, you know, on the books, you got to do it right before the holidays, before you close your books for the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And of course, everybody will rip you because they say, why, right before Christmas. Christmas, Yeah. Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, that's kind of the accounting necessity. That's when you know that you've got to shrink your budget. Well, it's one thing if they tell you ahead of time and they say, yeah, you're going to be laid off in December. They tell you in April. But it's another thing when they say, hey, come see me next week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, come what? see me. Come see me at the end of the day. Yeah. No, no, well, no. I always think now. I'm in trouble too. <laughs> and you're <laughs> thinking Christmas bonus. <laughs> yeah. A different like, kind. look, it's Friday. If you're gonna let me go, just at least let me start my weekend early. 
like Clark Griswold waiting for his bonus. And it's the jam of the month club. Yeah, jelly of the month. (laughs) One of the all-time greatest rants in a movie of all time. And none of it we can play on the radio, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, obviously, anytime there's there's any news about a a new progressive way a company is laying people off, I, I kind of... Uh, I kind of recoil, but yeah, the more I thought about this, the more, like I said, there's no good way to lay people off unless you just say, Hey, we're going to pay you for the rest of your life. And you don't have to, uh, you don't have to come into work ever. I think that's the best way to be laid off, but I don't, <laughs> yeah, in a perfect world. Yeah. In a perfect world. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, this kind of just sounds like you're, you're a contractor and you know, when your contract ends, wait, I know a good way to lay someone off. When they fired Texas A&M Jimbo Fisher, but he's still getting $77 million. Hello? The layoff that keeps on giving. That's a good way to do it. I I saw a meme that said the best job in America is a fired football coach. (laughs) (laughs) That's completely accurate. But, yeah, I think think this is probably the most humane way to lay somebody off. I mean, especially if you have eight months like this, this one company. I think it was Spotify. Um, who t- who uh, gave people you know months and months uh, in advance yeah, and uh, you know it was coming. But, but yeah, but me, I would procrastinate. I would procrastinate and uh, I, I would like end up waiting till the week before and say, oh shoot, I got to find myself a new job. Yeah, so um, you'd do it the old way. You'd you be were... like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I'll just coast on unemployment uh, at sixty percent of whatever I make. Um, someone who might be looking for a new job, Draymond Green, oh. he suspended indefinitely. That was a pretty nasty uh, swing stumble. He took. Yeah, that was a nasty yeah. stumble. That was a nasty slip and Ballet fall. He should call Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, the guy was just trying to uh, keep his balance, but yeah, man, you know, here's the. I like whenever I hear Draymond Green talk. I really like the dude. Yes. Uh, obviously. He went to Michigan State, but come on, man. Something happens when he gets on the court. He has something going on. And that's what the discussion had moved to, that something is wrong here. Mm -hmm. And that's why he's suspended indefinitely, uh, because they're going to work in some counseling before he can. Somebody said this only happens when Steph Curry isn't in the lineup. And then he he he, then because he knows that things aren't going to go well and it's too much pressure on him. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. possibly. and I know him and Joe Dumars are actually pretty close, and so that had to have been kind of awkward. But it also could be why they're looking for counseling. JR Morning next. The UAW has filed charges against three foreign automakers it's trying to unionize, Honda, Hyundai, and Volkswagen, for alleged union busting. Keith Naughton, auto business reporter for Bloomberg Business, talks about it with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz on All Talk. Well, after much success, it looks like the UAW is revving up its engines, ready to take on the big uh, foreign automakers uh, Just and uh, treat them just like they did the, uh, the big three here in uh, Metro Detroit. The UAW launched a significant organizing drive, Kevin. They're filing charges against Honda, Hyundai, and Volkswagen for allegedly uh, illegal anti-union activities. 
Well, it seems pretty easy to follow, Tom. Uh, the big three just got big raises, and uh, people at Honda, Hyundai, and Volkswagen are kind of looking over there, saying, I- "I'd like a big thirty percent raise. I- I'd like, I'd like some of this Sean Fain action. Maybe, maybe a union is the way to go." They start talking amongst themselves, and and uh, the company says, "Wait a minute, hold on there." Uh, but does the company go too far or not? Uh, let's bring in Keith Naughton, car business reporter for Bloomberg Business. Hey, Keith, how are you? Just fine, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So, what 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 is Sean Fain alleging that that are they uh, are they giving folks who are talking about uh, unionizing a, a terrible shift? Are they giving them the stink eye? Uh, what, what what are the allegations? <laughs> yeah. So, in the case of Volkswagen and Hyundai, um, they're saying that they're prohibiting them from handing out leaflets. Um, they're prohibiting sort of distribution of union materials. In the case of Honda, it's more of what you're referring to, Kevin. They're giving them um, difficult production standards using quality evaluations to retaliate against the workers who are supporting the union. So these are the things that they're going to take to the NLRB and uh, and try and get a finding of unfair labor practices. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting. Uh, the 30 percent of workers uh, signing a union authorization card. Um, it, it, do Looking at this in, in the past, is, has there been this much interest before from some of these non-union companies? Yeah, and that was at Volkswagen. So, yeah, a thousand workers in a week's time signed cards uh, uh, saying they're interested in having the UAW represent them. That is pretty quick. Um, you know, the UAW has tried to organize Volkswagen's Chattanooga, Tennessee plant twice before and failed. In fact, the UAW's failed or, to organize all of these um, international automakers who have plants in the United States. But this time around, as you said, they have this very strong calling card in this great deal that's negotiated with the Detroit automakers. When you have a 33% raise that you can use as your calling card, that does get attention. Yeah, that's the best marketing strategy out there, I think. <laughs> so the UAWs, they're accusing these foreign automakers of breaking the law to protect their profits, essentially is what they're saying. But what is the law here? I mean, can you pass out these leaflets while you're on the clock to try to get other you know, employees to support uh, the unionizing efforts? You can pass them out as they're coming or going from work at the plant gate. And that's what the UAW is saying in the case of Volkswagen, that this was at, I think, at gate three. They passed out leaflets there the last time they did an organizing drive in 2019 with no problems. Uh, and this time around, you know, security came out and stopped them from doing it. So they do have some history that they can draw from and compare to in that particular case. Okay. And so, you know, yeah, go ahead. I'll let you finish. Well, and, and the thing is, Volkswagen seems like um, – you know, the the best opportunity the UAW has because Volkswagen and the rest of the world is a very unionized company. Even the docents at the museum in Wolfsburg, Germany, are represented by a union. So it's a unionized company everywhere in the world except here in the United States. Yeah, and that's kind of the German way. I mean, that's, that's uh, one of the areas, kind of the premise of, I think, the unions early on in the last century was let's do things the way the Germans do things, the way that you could look back to President Woodrow Wilson. That was kind of his thinking. Uh, generally speaking, back back to current day events. How does how does this aggressive organizing campaign on behalf of the UAW? How does that reflect? You think on, on the current state around the country of labor relations, not just in the automotive industry, but really we're seeing unionization popping up all over the place. We absolutely are, Tom. And you know that's it. Starbucks, the great deal that 
um, that the Teamsters uh, just got, uh, you know, for delivery. There's all sorts of union victories going on right now. And, you know, there's a different uh, tenor at the National Labor Relations Board where these unfair labor practice charges are being taken than there was during the Trump administration, which wasn't as union friendly. So it is kind of labor's moment. And Sean saying the president of the UAW is trying to take full advantage of that. So how costly would it be for Honda, Hyundai, and Volkswagen if they unionized? And how costly would that be for us if we bought those cars? Well, you know, the interesting thing is the way these international manufacturers have kept the union out over the years is they they pay, they offer pay and benefits that are pretty similar to what workers get at UAW-represented plants. So, so the costs are kind of in there already. Um, but what's changed is that the union – got such big contracts this time around at the Detroit Three that there really is a difference. But what we've seen, Kevin, in the last six weeks since those contracts were ratified is that all of these automakers, Volkswagen, for example, just gave their workers an 11% raise. Everybody, Toyota, down the line, has given their workers raises in the last month and a half since the UAW deal. Yeah, and that's without having to pay union dues on top of that. But again, that's 11% versus 35% or whatever. What, what do you think, uh, what does it take? Uh, how many workers would need to support, like, say, Volkswagen or Hyundai to become unionized? What, what's the percentage? Is it 80%, 90 70 What is it? So what happens is, is so there are 30% right now with Volkswagen, for example. When that gets to 70%. Um, huh. the, there's a couple of options. The company could just recognize the union, and then it would be represented by the UAW. That doesn't often happen. So, but when you get to that 70% threshold, they can ask for a government-sponsored uh, union election. They've done that before at Volkswagen, at Nissan. They've lost those, but this time around, they feel like they have a better chance. What about uh, workers' rights and things like that? Is there a big difference between what the union offers and non-union offers in the car industry? You know, I think what the union, uh, you know, pitch is to workers is is that you get representation that protects you from, you know, being fired without cause, uh, uh, having to work in unsafe conditions. So the union is there to provide more than just a big paycheck, but also to provide, provide a level of protection. Uh, Sean Fain, do you think he's going to continue his uh, tact that he, a tactic he used with the big three? When he, remember, he called them famously the enemies of the United States, and, and now he's basically calling like Honda and Hyundai uh, lying cheats. <laughs> um, is this just more the same? Is this going to keep going down this uh, this tactic with these foreign automakers now? Yeah, so um, the one line that they are they're using with all the the international automakers that they used with the Detroit Three is record profits mean record raises. So they are they are playing that tune again, um, and these companies all do pretty well. And of course, the big one for them is to organize Tesla, and uh, and they're going to be going after that hard. So it'll be interesting to watch that fight play out. How do the how do these companies Play this out. Does it? Uh, do do they have to have uh, a position with with the general public? How do they play it out with their workers? Well, Elon Musk has just been very uh, open on you know X, the former Twitter, saying that 
his workers are better off without a union and that he's anti-union. So he's been very upfront about that. Um, but the other companies, I think, are a little more subtle in their pr approach, but they still try and make it clear. Volkswagen, for example, the last time around brought in the Republican governor of Tennessee to talk to Chattanooga workers about why it would be such a bad idea to join the union. So they all use different techniques, but I think the goal is the same.